to Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion. Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to To Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year. My name is William Green, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor Brian King. Welcome to our first uh, broadcast of the new year. Uh, as you might be able to tell, I'm a little bit under the weather, fighting off a cold, so hopefully my voice will hold up for the rest of the broadcast. We'll see. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, Pastor, you can do more talking than usual tonight on my behalf. <laughs> That's pretty funny, telling a pastor he should talk. It, uh, my wife says, you know, you talk a lot. I said, yeah, well, I'm, I'm paid to talk. That's my job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. So sure, I'll, I'll fill in. I'll read, the, I'll read maybe a little more than what we normally would. Okay. I appreciate that. But Great. Happy New Year, everybody. And, yeah, uh, yeah, Happy New Year indeed. 2023. Yeah, crazy. And uh, tonight we wanted to kick the new year off by, we, as, as we mentioned uh, before the break, we wanted to look at something that had to do with Epiphany this week, and we are. But we're also kind of tying in a feast that happened a few days ago, the commemoration of the slaughter of the Holy Innocents in Bethlehem, Right. So um, there are several different readings in and around Epiphany that all draw from Matthew chapter 2. Uh, one of them is the gospel reading for this coming Sunday uh, in Epiphany. And the other one is um, the Feast of the Holy Innocents. And that narrative is also in Matthew chapter 2. So tonight we're kind of doing a combination. We're going to read a little bit longer of a section of scripture than we normally do because we're kind of incorporating two different Sundays of readings or two different uh, days of readings. And, um, so that's, that's the plan for tonight. Yeah. We're reading the, the narrative through in Matthew two, one to 18, which, which, um, has a couple of these events in there that are sort of celebrated or recognized, commemorated on different days. Right. The church here, but just kind of made sense. Cause we're looking at this and then here, this next part comes in and well, let's just read the whole thing and do it in context. Right. Yeah, which exactly. Is the normal, it's the normal way to read the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We and, have a yeah. We in our our Sunday morning where we take this little section, that little section. It's 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 good to read from different parts of the Bible, but it, it's kind of not the way the Bible was designed to be read. Right, exactly. Yeah. And especially this time of year, there's quite a bit of jumping around because so uh, the feast of the Holy Innocents is celebrated every year on December 28th. Um, and now it's something you might expect would be uh, something that we would celebrate in the Epiphany season. But apparently there's an early Syrian source that uh, indicates that Herod's decree to kill the children in Bethlehem happened on December 27th was the date that I read. And so uh, I assume we try to celebrate it as closely to the chronological date as we as we know, right? And so that's probably why it doesn't fall during the Epiphany season. But that does mean you are kind of jumping around in Matthew chapter 2. It's, it, that happens chronologically after uh, the wise men visit Jesus, right? Yes. Yeah. And that's all part of the, the deal that the children under two and all of that, the, the wise men um, end up visiting Jesus at the house where he was. He's no longer the, the newborn infant in, in the manger stall. Right. So probably they, they see the, the star of the light and then they start to travel and all this narrative we'll get into a bit. Right. But, but, you know, and, and every year I set up 
you know, the, the, the cradle on the altar of the church, and I've got the wise men there. Well, they don't belong there, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Was it Luther? Luther said, sin boldly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you go. Now, we, we might want to talk a bit about what the Feast of the Holy Innocents is, because I imagine it's not a commemoration that's often celebrated in most Lutheran churches on Sunday, partially because it's always eclipsed by Christmas, right? Yeah. So unless you're going to a church that has services regularly, like almost every single day during the Christmas season, this is probably not something you're going to commemorate on a Sunday in church, right? No, because the first Sunday after Christmas, where it might fall on, you know, that actual day, we have the reading for the first Sunday after Christmas and things. Right. Are, and it's also, it's, it's a sad story. Yeah, I know. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of sad commemorations that happen right in the middle of Christmas, right? So on December 26th, you have the commemoration of uh, St. Stephen. Good King Wenceslas looked out on the Feast of Stephen. Yes. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so uh, we commemorate uh, the time when uh, Stephen was martyred for his faith on the 26th. And then the day after that, we have the commemoration of John, the evangelist, right? Yeah. Now, he didn't die by martyrdom as far as we know. No. Uh, but we commemorate him on December 27th every year. And then we have the commemoration of the Holy Innocents on December 28th. So you have these three commemorations right in a row that happen right after Christmas. And so oftentimes they're overlooked. Yeah, they are. And that's okay. Um, and that's where some daily devotions and things come into play. You, you, anytime you read more scripture, you learn more, right? Yeah, yeah. You just, you get more. You keep taking it in. And, you know, some of us have been doing this for a very long time. And still every time we read, we, we see a little more something. We see another angle, a little more nuance is presented to us. And, yeah. and our faith our faith is strengthened. And to think about the fact that, these children were were killed because someone was evil it's 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 sad it's poignant but uh then again we have it makes us focus our hope on god right exactly yeah. and th there's a kind of a neat parallelism between these three feast days that happen one right after the other and it all centers around the theme of martyrdom i've he i've heard it said that stephen was a martyr both in will and in deed John was a martyr in will, but not in deed. And that he Holy... wasn't, and that he wasn't killed, like that we know of. Yeah, exactly. So, in in other words, like he would have been willing to die for his faith, but he he never had to, is what we mean by that. Is this is the tradition we have? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then the and holy innocents. The holy innocents were martyrs in deed, but not in will. Now that's kind of an interesting concept. They they died yeah. in some respect for the sake of Christ. Which I think is how most people understand martyrdom, dying for the sake of Christ, right? Yeah, the, the idea, the etymology behind it is that you're, you're, a martyr is one who gives a witness before someone who has the authority to take their life. Right. Now, in modern language usage, a martyr is someone who dies for their faith, their belief, their conviction. Right. And, it, and, and, of course, now we use the term outside of Christian, Christianity as well. Right, right. To be a martyr so the, for a cause. Yeah, exactly, right. And so the martyrs, obviously, these children, these babies were too little to understand what was going on. But uh, we still uh, traditionally consider them the first martyrs, right? Yeah, you kind of have to, don't you? You have to. Time -wise. I think that's, that's been the tradition, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they are the first ones. And, and so we, we refer to them as innocents. 
and and maybe that's the part of the the will that they mm-hmm. weren't actively doing anything to bring this about where like Stephen was following his faith and and his regenerated will was acting in accordance with with his faith and with God's will so that he he spoke and then was killed for it yeah exactly where these these children were the passive recipients of of evil exactly right and then we talked a bit about numbers too, and I've heard some historians say that you know it, it might have been a couple dozen. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people like to exaggerate and say there were hundreds and hundreds of children, but Bethlehem was a small town, and and finding you know, male children under two, it, it's 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 a tragedy beyond a doubt, but not like this weird multi hundreds of victims yeah and and for some reason that seemed to be the notion that a lot of the early church had was that it was like thousands and thousands of children and i i think some people were trying to draw parallels between the number of children who were killed and some mentions of um in revelation about uh innocence in, in i forget if it was revelation 12 perhaps but uh one of the readings for the Feast of the Holy Innocence was from Revelation. And it seemed like whoever was putting together the lectionary was trying to make a connection between something that was written in Revelation and the Holy Innocence. And so we know a lot of that kind of thing was happening in the early church where they were trying to find uh, significance in these uh, New Testament events and link them to things happening in Revelation. And perhaps some of that was done erroneously or the numbers were exaggerated for that sake. But... Um, as you mentioned, a lot of modern biblical scholars seem to think it was a much smaller number because of the yeah. size of, of Bethlehem. Still a tragedy. Oh, absolutely. Still, yeah. Still a yeah. tragedy. Uh, yes. Yeah, it is. Should we jump? Yeah, let's hop into our reading for tonight. Okay. So tonight we're looking at Matthew 2, 1 to 18. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious 
And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Great. Thank you, Pastor. You're welcome. So as we said, we have uh, the traditional reading for Epiphany there, the account of the wise men actually visiting Jesus, and then coupled again with uh, the children in Bethlehem being killed. And um, as our regular listeners will know, we usually try to incorporate a extra biblical reading uh, that is pertinent to what we had just read. And um, tonight, I think we want to go ahead and read that pretty early in the broadcast. Well, yeah, because we're, we're going to pull Leo, uh, who lived, what, 400 to 461? Yep. Um, Leo, so quite a few years ago, uh, wrote this, and, and he, he brings out some of the the sinful motivation in Herod and, and mm-hmm. talks about it. So I'll read that from Aramis, um for this for this reading. Perfect. Thank you. Leo, the first of Rome. Herod, hearing that a king of the Jews had been born, grew afraid at the thought of a possible successor. Plotting death for the author of salvation, he makes false promises of coming to pay homage to him. How happy he would have been if he had but imitated the faith of the Magi, if he had but turned into an act of religion the treachery he was planning. O blind impiety of senseless envy! Do you propose, in your madness, to defeat the divine will? The Lord of the world does not seek an earthly kingdom, but bestows an eternal one. Why are you trying to overthrow the unchangeable order of what has been decreed? Why are you trying to outdo the crimes of others? Christ's death does not belong to your time. Before that, the gospel must be established. The kingdom of heaven preached, the sick healed, miracles performed. Why, when the deed is to be done by another, do you wish it to be your crime? Why, since you will not get what you want from your misdeed, do you hurl yourself alone into the guilt of having willed it? You will gain nothing by your plotting. You accomplish nothing. He who was born of his own will will die by the power of his own choosing. Excellent. Thank you. Yes. That is really a great reading. Yeah, it is. He, he really brings some focus to it. Yeah. And, and talks about some of these attitudes, the motivation. What motivates someone to do this type of thing, to order the slaughter of children? Right. Yeah. Obviously, Herod was a, a bad guy. And we see elsewhere uh, indications that Herod is extremely envious when it comes to people he perceives as being threat to his authority. Uh, d- don't we know that Herod also killed his own children? Didn't he kill his sons? There's a, uh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stories about the Herods and the offspring, and 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 there were they were not a good lot, <laughs> right? Yeah, let's just leave it at that. They were you know uh, murderous, they were treacherous, they were deceitful, they were envious, they were malicious. I, I can go on a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they they were they were sinful people who were self centered and self serving. Even to the point of, as you say, you know, ordering the, the deaths of family members and things right. like that. And we see this a lot in ancient rulers, right? If there's a uh, perceived threat to your authority or you believe someone's trying to usurp the throne or something like that, 
all sorts of rulers have had people killed that they perceived as threats, whether or not they were right about them being threats, right? Better safe than sorry in their minds. And that certainly seems to be the attitude uh, of Herod here. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So there's a couple deceitful things going here. One, he's plotting the death of Jesus while stating that he wants to go worship him. Right. That That's just the exact opposite, right? Right. The epitome of a dishonest statement. It's completely, oh, I want to go worship him. Actually, I want to kill him. Right. I'm afraid that, you know, I'm afraid that he's going to take over my position. Right. So, so kill him. So there's envy involved here. There's this paranoia. There's this desire to hold on to power no matter what cost. And, and that's what motivates him. Right. And I don't know if we talked about who the Magi were last year. We might've touched on that briefly, but um, I know like there are songs and traditions who believe that they were Kings or rulers of some sort. And um, perhaps there's uh, kernels of truth to that, but it's interesting to see the two different attitudes of these people in authority kind of at odds with one another. So you have the Magi assuming they had some high position of power in their own countries who are coming to Herod asking for directions to the Christ child so they can worship them uh, in honesty and sincerity. And then you have Herod who claims to be wanting to do, to do the same thing, but uh, in his mind obviously has a different intent. Yeah. He wants to find the competition and remove it. Right. Before it's a real threat. Yeah. The, uh, the whole idea of, yes, these Magi were uh, astrologers possibly um, non and why we include this in the Epiphany season is they were non-Jewish believers. Yes, exactly. So they right. were Gentiles. So yeah, right. they come. They, you know, what is the phrase? Wise men still seek him. Mm-hmm. Okay, and these wise men came seeking the the Lord of heaven and earth, the Creator of all, who was who was born of the babe. Right. And and of course the the idea is possibly that Daniel had left uh, knowledge. Uh, while he was in exile, yes, it was kept it was kept for hundreds of years down in in the uh, in the the magicians, right? That's right. We the did magi. talk about this. This is all coming yeah. back to me now that you said that. That's right. I forgot about that link with Daniel. That's an interesting idea. It yeah. is. It is cool. It is cool that God's word, and this is the, and it makes it really good to keep in mind the fact that if Epiphany, we're thinking about God's love for the whole world. That here's this perfect example. Even though the seed might have been planted hundreds of years before they still held on to it as being something important and valuable. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So Leo also talks about thwarting the divine will. Yeah. And that's not you. That's not you. (laughs) I'm not the divine will. No. I'm just the human will, I guess. You're the... the... (laughs) Wow. I'm going to go with you're the forgiven will. There we go. That's probably more accurate. Okay, so what, what... You know, how can you thwart the divine will? And... But... But... You know, we, we bring up lines like, you know, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, but that doesn't happen. Isn't that God's will? Right, right. This is the question I had because there seems to be clear instances in scripture where God is going to accomplish his purposes no matter what. And certainly Christ's incarnation and death and resurrection is one of those instances. There's nothing that a human being could have done that would have prevented that. Period. No, but then right. you, you get the idea that God did not will that Adam and Eve fall into sin. 
Right. And God doesn't will that we sin. He he wishes and wants us not to. Right. And yet we do. So it's interesting. When it comes to individuals, we still have our free will. Right. Right. Yeah. God didn't want puppets. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, that goes back to a distinction that I hear some of my Reformed uh, Calvinist friends making, or a lack of distinction, rather. They would say something like, if God wills that everyone to be saved, then everyone would be saved, right? Because nothing can thwart God's will. That's the sort of logic I hear uh, from people who come from that tradition, right? Right. So, so I think we kind of need to separate God's will or wish from his will in respect to purpose and action. Mm-hmm. And also God's will for us is not something that he imposes harshly upon us. Mm-hmm. He doesn't beat us into submission. He doesn't, he doesn't take over our wills so that we follow him blindly. He doesn't want that. Right. He wants us to come to him out of a regenerate, free, willing spirit, not out of a controlled, manipulated, and no longer our own will and spirit. Right. So, so in other words, we would affirm that there are things that we could do that would jeopardize our faith, right? Yeah. Whether it be habitual sin or um, like just stop going to church or something like that. Yeah, and the one that's mentioned in the in the Bible is that people tried to justify themselves by their works. And Paul says, well, you, you've fallen from grace. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that's not God's will that we fall from grace. God wants us to be saved. So we can talk about God's will and desire for people. Mm-hmm. And then and then here we have to, when the way Leo's talking, is God's will in respect to what he is going to do, his purpose and his actions, that um, wh- whether we um, agree with them or acknowledge them or whatever, they're still going to happen. Right. God's going to send his son. His son's going to bleed and die. His son's going to rise from the dead. That's God's will. That's God's purpose. But when it comes to his will for individuals... Um, that's something that he gently works through his word and his spirit. Right. Right. So I think we have to, we have to just discern a little bit and separate a little bit God's will in respect to his own actions and activity and God's effect on our lives. Yes. Because we're still free agents. Right. Exactly. I know some theologians have tried to make a distinction about the different kinds of God's will or the different ways of speaking about the will of God. Like I know I've heard people talk about his like permissive will. Have you heard this sort of language? Yeah. 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 He allowed Adam and Eve to, to sin. He, allow, yeah. he allows, he allows us to sin. Right. Um, it doesn't mean he concurs or uh, he approves of it, but he, right. he, he concurs in the activity. Like he right. doesn't stop it. So there's a certain concurrence in God allowing us to sin and then he allows it to go on. Yes. Right. No, but, but that's Even if different. that's not what he wants for us. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But that's different from us trying to stop him from doing something. Yes. And that's what Leo was talking about. Harry, you're going to stop Jesus from getting to the cross? No. <laughs> right. Right. It's not, it's not going to happen. Exactly. It's not going to happen. And yeah. so as Leo said, Herod got a really bad deal because he, uh, not only did he not accomplish what he tried to accomplish, he also has the guilt of willing the death of the Messiah which he uh, he didn't accomplish. Uh, that guilt properly belongs to other people, the people who who ultimately killed him, right? 
But now he also kind of shares in that guilt by his own volition through trying to accomplish this thing that he ultimately wasn't able to accomplish anyway. And killed a lot of children. So he has that guilt on him as well. Yeah, exactly. Right. So he didn't accomplish his goal. He took the guilt that really actually belonged to those who would actually kill Jesus, but added to it by killing other children. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lose-lose. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. So it didn't, it didn't stop him. So what motivated him? He's not going to be able to change the divine will, but he thought he could. But part of the confusion was that he thought that this Messiah, this king, the one that the Magi had come to worship, was going to set up an earthly kingdom. Yeah, right, right. So he brings about this death of children in his attempt to kill the Messiah because he's afraid of his throne, but Jesus wasn't there to take his throne. Yeah, that's another good point, right. It was all pointless. Yeah, Jesus wasn't even going to do what Herod thought he was going to do to begin with, right? He had nothing to fear from Jesus. Yeah. The exact opposite. He had everything to gain from Jesus, not an earthly king. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He did say, uh, the kingdom of God is within you. Yes, right. It's a a spiritual kingdom. And so many people have lost that idea that the Messiah came to be a spiritual king and a spiritual healer, not an earthly king and a healer of political ills in the world. Right. So, yeah. Okay. So he was confused. Yes. Now, Christ's death, like his birth, were going to be at God's appointed time. Yes. And that I think that uh, Leo was talking about, you can't thwart God's will. You can't stop God from doing what God is going to do. Right. You can thwart his will in respect to his um, extending his love to you and things like that. We can refuse the Holy Spirit. But when God's going to act and it's his will to act, he will act. Right. And that's where you see direct divine intervention here with uh, the angels warning uh, Joseph to take the family and flee to Egypt, right? Like, yeah. obviously, God knew what Herod was planning yeah. and intervened to make sure he couldn't accomplish what he was trying to do. Right. So if we say that these things are going to happen in accordance with God's will, let's, I'm going to read a few verses. One is the, the, the birth of Christ. One section of Galatians we're so familiar with, chapter 4. Starting at verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So when the fullness of time had come, this is God's plan, his his plan of salvation, as it were, Mm -hmm. to send his son at the right time. Right. But... Not just, not just is his son going to be born at the right time and in the fullness of time. And Pastor Roas explained that so nicely, st- stating that it's almost as though all of time and history were built around that one event. Yes, yeah. I like that. It's the central event. It's the biggest event in, in, in history. Right. I would right. say human history, but it's divine history too. Right, yeah, yeah. Pastor Roas was making the remark that all of the interactions in the world were kind of built in and pre-designed to work in accordance with God's timing in the incarnation. Right. Yeah, that's, that's the a, centerpiece. That's the centerpiece. Yes. Uh, think of a flower arrangement. You've got the centerpiece, then you have all the other attendant flowers. But the main event is this birth of Jesus. So it's not as though God was up there waiting. Oh, is it time to send him? I don't know. Right. No, everything was built around that, that he's going to send his son and, and then everything follows or precedes that in, in accordance with God's will. 
Right. So not only was he born at the proper time, uh, Leo put it really well. He said, he who was born of his own will will die by the power of his own choosing. Yes. He's, Jesus is going to decide how he dies. Right. Which we're not going to get into some of the philosophical concepts about, well, was he suicidal? Did he have a martyr complex? No. He had you in mind when he went to die. He's right. It's, it's, it's the fireman going into a burning building and, and dying as the beam falls on him as he, as he thrusts the, the victim outside to his other firefighters. Mm-hmm. He, he knows he's going to die, but he's going to do it because he wants to save you. Right. And that's, right. that's what Jesus did. So uh, we have a few instances from Scripture where um, people tried to kill Jesus, but it wasn't the right time. In Luke 4, after he was preaching in the synagogue, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. He went away. I like that. So passing through their midst. Okay, it's not my time. I have work to do. I have people to heal. I have things to teach. I, I have work to do. It's not the time. So he literally just goes through the crowd of those who were trying to throw him over the hill or right. off, off the cliff, right? Right. So it wasn't the right time. Uh, we, have, we have another example in John 8. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So the whole idea of him saying, before Abraham was, I am, he's claiming to be God. Right. The, the, uh, the I am phrase, the Yahweh. He's saying, I'm Yahweh. And right. I existed before Abraham. They think he's nuts. They think he has a demon. So they go to stone him. And he just, he hid himself and went out of the temple. Right. And don't you think the religious leaders uh, understood the claim that he was making as well? Probably oh, totally. To stone him for blasphemy, too. Oh, they, right. Yep. They thought he was blasphemous, uh, even to call himself the son of God. We've talked about that, where the son has the same um, essence and power, however you want to phrase it, is that what is the, how, how do you put it, that the offspring has the same essence as the parent? Yes. There's, there's a different, yeah. The, the yes. whole idea of, of being, right? Right, exactly. So when he claims to be the son of God, he's claiming to be God. And we, right. when he claims to be before Abraham, then he's claiming to be timeless and things like that. Yes. So right. that's that angered him. That's This is why they were so angry at him that they ended up killing him, but not at this point. Um, you know, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus himself and went out of the temple. And further on in John chapter 10, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, You are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Right. Because it wasn't the time. Right. Exactly. 
it's not the time. It wasn't the time when he was a small child. It's not the time in these references in scripture. But there is a right time. Right. And that, that's what I, I like when Leo says. So he says, Christ's death does not belong to your time. Before that, the gospel must be established. The kingdom of heaven preached, the sick healed, and miracles performed. So it's yeah. it's interesting, all the things that Jesus had just mentioned in that passage you just read. Uh, that Leo all had to be accomplished up. before uh, before his death. Yeah, I think Leo had really good insight into this passage and this incident and, and what was motivating Herod. Yeah. The, the yeah. fear of losing his kingdom, the fear of losing power, uh, all of this feeling threatened by this Messiah King who's coming on the scene. Right. So, yeah. yeah, these were not of your time. These things, So this is God's will and purpose that he he does these things that he has to do before he goes to the cross and dies. Now, when the right time does come, Jesus doesn't shy away from it. Right. And again in John 12, or again in John, but this time chapter 12. So we've jumped from John 8 to John 10 to John 12, starting at verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, Jesus says. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. So now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? No. Now's the time. Right. Now's the time. And he does go and bleed and die for us at the proper time. Right. We see such sinful behavior in people, this envy, this jealousy, this... Now, if you want to look at it in respect to the, you know, Ten Commandments... Don't covet, don't kill, protect your neighbor, all this stuff. It's just a, it's like a laundry list of, well, the commandments don't mean anything to me. I want my own way. I want my own power. I want Mm -hmm. my own office. I don't care who has to die for me to keep it. Right. Right. That's what we see. And sadly, these things still resonate pretty well today, don't they? They do. Yep. Yeah. It's sad. It's sad. Okay. Uh, Have we completed run the course is it the right time <laughs> yeah i think our time has come yeah it <laughs> wow okay <laughs> i didn't know you were that sick <laughs> but yeah our time is our time's running out it's just fascinating to think about and, and to understand that yeah you can't thwart god's will in respect to what he is going to do on our behalf right and that's a great comfort to us oh it, fantastic the less we have control over those things, the better in many respects, yeah. right? Yes, it, yes, yes, yes. We are sinful, ignorant little children. God does allow us to have our free will, but we soon learn that Father knows best. Right, right? exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Do you um, have a prayer for us today, Will? Yes, I do. Okay, then we can, we can pray. O God, who by the leading of your star manifested your only begotten Son to the Gentiles, mercifully grant that we, who know you now by faith, may after this life have the fruition of your glorious Godhead, through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.